0: Kia ora and welcome to the New Zealand Property Management Podcast. I am your host, David Faulkner. Here we are locked in our office at home in Wellington during the lockdown. In this edition, we got to speak with Green MP Chloe Swarbrick. Chloe is the youngest Member of Parliament and the Member of Parliament for Auckland Central City. She's a strong advocate on the rental warrant of fitness and also on tenants' rights and issues around renting. In our discussion, we looked at the rental one of fitness and how it may work, but we didn't just stop there. We also discussed all different aspects around housing and particularly renting in New Zealand. We also wanted to probe Chloe on how long it would take to see the property management industry regulated. Kia ora everybody and welcome to the New Zealand Property Management Podcast brought to you by Real IQ. I am here today with a special guest. On our podcast in the middle of our lockdown in New Zealand Uh, Joining me is probably one of the most recognisable members of Parliament Uh,
1: And are you still the youngest, Chloe? Are you still the youngest... I am unfortunately. I was elected back in 2017 at 23, at which point I was the youngest. I'm now 27, and I'm still the youngest. So I don't know if that's an indictment on um, our recruiting mechanisms in Parliament or what.
0: Well, well. Anyway, we, we didn't see you got Chloe Swarbrick, who's joining us exclusively for really a talk uh, primarily around the, the rental warrant of fitness. But Chloe, I was just reading that you decided. You is it true that you actually ran for mayor of Auckland?
1: I <laughs> did back in twenty seventeen, yeah. I um was uh, running a few different small businesses at a time uh, but the thing that really actually got me quite frustrated was the closure of the King's Arms um, one of the many uh, confounding factors in that, uh, it's a music venue in central Auckland or it was yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which you know uh, offered a foot in the door for young local musicians, build an audience, makes mistakes, all of those great things um, and one of the many reasons that it closed down was because of poor planning regulation which right. effectively didn't seek to protect those kinds of venues so it was at uh, 95 BFM um, number one alternative radio session in Auckland right. and had interviewed a number of the candidates who were running uh, and basically got goaded into it by a mate who was like, well you've complained about this stuff for so long what are you doing about it? So I googled how to do it how to run for Auckland there um, had to be over the age of 18, I was 22 at the time, which yep. everybody kept reminding me um, it had to pay 200 bucks for administrative fees, which I could scrape together uh, and had to have two people nominate me, so <laughs> I just from that point in time was like, let's throw together all of these policies, of course, um, we're going to run a serious campaign, but we're also going to try and get the other candidates to talk about substantive issues Mm. uh, and, you know, try and, I guess, shift the uh, field in terms of what is possible politically.
0: Right, okay. And and you joined Parliament in in 2017, you're now the Auckland City uh, MP, and where are you at the moment? Are so you up in Auckland? Uh,
1: uh, in, I, am, in fr- I am, I'm in my apartment actually in the central city, um, so I have the good fortune, and um, for those who aren't familiar with the electorate of Auckland Central I do represent the city centre itself, which is home to around 40,000 people, mm-hmm. uh, and also happens to be pretty implicated in this COVID outbreak so yeah. it's been a lot of work uh, therein, but I also represent out towards Ponsonby, down St Mary's right. Bay, Freeman's Bay, uh, towards Grafton, the bottom of Parnell, and and then out across the Hauraki. So I have the privilege of representing the Hauraki Islands as well. Right. I've got Waiheke and Aotea Great Barrier, which have quite different uh, demographics and obviously yeah. quite different problems to a dense city population.
0: Okay. All right. So anyway, what we're here for is really just to, to talk about um, this this rental one-and-to-fitness. I mean, this is something that I personally believe uh, is necessary and what we'll see from the healthy homes is a natural evolution. Uh, where it will be adapted Chloe how do you think the rental warrants of fitness how do you see it working um, in New Zealand
1: yeah, so I agree with you in that it should be a natural evolution, but unfortunately, given my experience inside of Parliament and seeing just how uh, political willpower can be stuck at times, particularly when there are a few loud voices in the room, I don't know if it's necessarily all too natural. So it is definitely something that we've been campaigning on. Uh, so we put these back on the table politically, and I saying there's been a number of those outside of politics, uh, not the least the Royal College of uh, Australasian phys- uh those who work in the medical profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got yourself, <laughs> those who are engaged in the sector, uh, and those who are looking at it from a whānau um, kind of health perspective, too. Uh, and of course, the rental um, advocacy uh, area, too. So, uh, the way that it would work is effectively kind of amalgamating what's currently within the healthy home standards, but a few other um, straightforward practical things around obviously running water, making sure that there's hot water as well, uh, making sure that the light switches work, Uh, there's a really great uh, format that was proposed by a lecturer, or rather a researcher from the University of Otago which was what was uh, taken as what could be implemented in the voluntary standard from uh, Wellington City Council, Um, the problem being there that it was of course voluntary which in Mm. turn means that we don't set up the systems and the economies of scale to make this all too functional Uh, so for me it's about saying the problems that we've got with the healthy home standards is first and foremost that rent have to know their rights they have to know what the standards are supposed to be and then if they are concerned that their home doesn't reach those standards, they have to go through what is potentially quite a ruinous for the relationship between themselves and the property manager or yeah. the landlord uh, process through the tenancy tribunal yeah. to try and enforce those so a warrant of fitness would front load any of that potential drama and just mean that we have effectively a licence which says here we go <laughs> this property is good to live in in the same way that we don't wait for cars to crash before we
0: drive them for yeah. the yeah, yeah. So I mean, the paper that you're referring to, I think, is Philippa howden Chapman, who is yes. at Targo University, and and I remember reading this paper on this when it was first muted, and this was muted quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. My criticism of that was that it was just it was overly onerous. It was there was too much to it, and it was a it was a pass or a fail. Um, mm. You know, do, do you think there's any wiggle room that that could be actually altered to make it a yeah. little bit more user-friendly?
1: Look, so what the Greens have put on the table is a proposal for the way that we could go about starting to have this conversation as a country. And we've put forward some examples of what's happening in other jurisdictions. Uh, and we've said this is some stuff that we can look at but ultimately we know that what is currently operating that is a burden of proof on and an onus rather on the renter to go through the arduous process to enforce those rights for healthy homes needs to be reversed. So absolutely uh, it does need to be road tested. On top of that I'd also say uh, that you know, we have to talk about uh, the housing stock in this country and how a lot of it was built a long time ago and hasn't been built to scratch. On top of that, there's all of these issues which we're obviously interrogating now around, for example, the kind of duopoly when it comes to uh, building supply products in the country and how that impacts potentially the kinds of standards around the types of homes that we're building. We're also building smaller and smaller apartments and I've done some work on that with regard to apartment lending. Uh, But yes... I do think that there is room to move i think that that was a really solid proposal mm-hmm. uh, from the um from philip uh, but nonetheless i think again as you know it's a few years old by this point in time so um yeah we've got to road test it, make sure that it's yeah. practical
0: how long and, and how long would a, a would you see because they were suggesting like three years and then every three <laughs> years you have to get it assessed again to make sure that it's compliant so you kind of suggesting um similar time frame for landlords to do this
1: yeah, I mean, why wouldn't we start with that as a proposal on the table and then we road test it? Again, yeah. we see if that's the kind of thing that would work. I think that there's obviously different types of properties. And, you know, for those who live in apartments like I have for the past 10 years, uh, it very much is the case that you have a different type of structure or engagement with a body corporate, for yeah. example, potentially a property manager who manages a number of apartments. Uh, and that's where the kind of part of the puzzle around Regulations for uh, property managers and landlords come into the picture, which is another thing that the Greens have been putting on the table for a long time now. It actually was promised by Labour in uh, the election campaign. Yeah. Um, what parliamentary written questions uh, and a little bit of digging by journalists have exposed, uh, but also the parliamentary written questions that I lodged, uh, there hasn't been all too much work, unfortunately, done on that by the Housing Minister or Associate Housing Ministers. Uh, so we're trying to nudge them along on that piece of work because all of these things together
0: okay okay now you mentioned before about wellington uh trialing mm. this and and it was it was a flop it, it no one took it up it, it, why 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 didn't <laughs> why did that fail i think
1: i mean it, it's, it's a really similar question as to you know why is housing treated like Commodity in this country. Uh, It's because all of our default systemic drivers are saying that it should be. Uh, For that same reason, we didn't see that uptake of voluntary standards for, I mean, some people could argue, as you've put forward, that potentially it was a bit too onerous. Um, Others could say, well, why would I if I don't have to? Uh, And when you don't have that cultural impetus to do it, when you don't have uh, a whole bunch of people coming together and saying we're going to set the standard and nobody's going to be you know we're going to therefore hold ourselves out as the best possible landlords and Mm. you know the market's going to come to us when the market, as it presently is, is skewed very much uh, towards those who are landlords, uh, that's the way that the power is tilted. In turn, that means that there isn't all too much of an incentive to go about ensuring that your home is healthy. And given that adequate housing is very literally a human right as enshrined at the United Nations, and New Zealand has signed up to that Mm. as a member nation, uh, these are some of the things which we really need to be interrogating. And, yeah, Yeah. there's a far bigger question underlying
0: Yeah, I'll I'll come back on some on of the points you make there in a moment. Because I do agree mm. in one sense is that, you know, you have to legislate it, or else landlords they won't some landlords will. Yeah, but totally. You know, healthy homes has proven if, if landlords maintain the properties, we wouldn't actually need healthy home standards. You know, and and, <laughs> and, 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 and you know, um the original proposal by Auckland uh, by Otago University. I mean, it did look at 29 set criteria. We have touched on all of this. How do you think it could be adapted Though healthy homes uh, or a warrant of fitness could be adapted to things like body corporates? Because you know, where you are at the moment, are you going to need someone going around every three years or, or four years? Or what do you think would be look like that? Because different properties will have different criteria.
1: Yeah, and I also think um, that there's a really valid question there about how it rubs up against the Unit Titles Act, which we're actually currently going through amendments to in front of Finance and Expenditure Committee, which I'm a member of, it was a piece of work instigated several years ago now mm. by former MP for Auckland Central, the Honourable Nikki Kaye, yep. and subsequently being picked up by Nicola Willis, and I've been working quite closely with her on this. Yeah. So, you know, we we do not have a great understanding of different types of dwellings in this country from a legislative perspective, let alone a regulatory one. So uh, there's a lot of changes that have been coming down the pipeline there yeah. to ensure that those who have dealt with the dramas around leaky buildings and uh, a lack of professionality inside of their body corporate management teams and otherwise, uh, and you know, just how much it interfaces with that this sworn of fitness is again something to be road tested, but the point of putting this on the table yeah. is to say we can do it and other jurisdictions have done it and here's some really good parameters to road test.
0: What about things like, you know, in Europe and in the UK, you, you know, we see these energy performance certifications, and they have this to me that looks like a better model because you can have a particular grade. If I want to go for an A grade, then I'm going to pay a bit of a premium. But then you have, um, once it gets below, say, a D or an E, legally, you can't rent it out. I mean, what would you think that something like that would have legs in New Zealand?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, the point of the healthy home standards is to say that this is the basics that you need for a healthy home in this country. And as you've noted, we have had a long history by this point in time of housing stock that is just not up to Mm. scratch, that's making our kids sick, that means that we have rates of rheumatic fever, which are comparable or not actually seen in other developed nations. Mm. So for me, this is saying we actually do have those baseline standards. And when it comes to, um, you know, doing a checklist where if you're at a d grade then you can't rent it out if you're an a grade then potentially you can charge a premium i think at this point in time our general proposal is these are the things that everybody should be afforded uh, but sure you can absolutely go above and beyond at which point in time we know that people will be charging a premium anyway yeah
0: yeah you talked on before and this has been talked a lot uh, really around um housing being being a human rights and, and what we've got yeah. at the moment is human I've heard it not called now. It used to be called the housing crisis I'm hearing people refer to it now as a housing catastrophe. I mean, where has it gone wrong? Cause because <laughs> clearly, I mean, I mean, I am a landlord myself, but even I yeah. recognise you've seen the kids just gate crash our interview. At some point, these kids are gonna to have to come to the bank of mum and dad to buy a house in New Zealand. Uh, and, and yeah. some of them may just look overseas as alternatives because it's too expensive.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, if you're to compare particularly Auckland's market and what constitutes affordable housing, um, we are far beyond the pale. Uh, the average income to uh, proportional or ratio rather to the cost of a house is now, I believe, as of this past month, about 1 to 11 or 1 to 12, mm. uh, which, again, puts us in a very, very gnarly position to any other jurisdiction in the world, where we're amongst the most expensive in the world. So there's a number of different things in that. One of which, and this is something I often hear people say, is, oh well people should become, you know, accustomed to renting. The problem that we've got is that we have had such a structural and cultural norm in this country for people to buy a property and that to be their security into the future. It's the kind of things that people obviously borrow against when they're starting small businesses, but also can borrow against when they're helping their kids get into properties. Mm. Uh, So we need to look at what it would actually mean to have sustainable long-term renting as a viable option for people that doesn't put them in a really precarious situation further down the track or disadvantage them when it comes to career opportunities or otherwise. So to do that, that's those bigger structural things. In terms of the drivers, um, this is where, for me, you know, there, there is this real uh, rhetoric in parliament and in politics to just oversimplify this as market causes of supply and demand. Absolutely, there's a lot of demand, and there has not been enough supply. Mm. Uh, when we're talking about supply, however, there is a tendency to want to say, "Well, we should just continue to expand further and further." out. Uh, if you want an example of where that hasn't worked particularly well, you only have to look at Auckland. Yeah. We have built on some of the most fertile land, which has put us in quite a pickle when it comes to thinking about the future resilience of our uh, kind of food supply. Uh, we also have continued to uh, increase the costs of infrastructure. And we've continued to foster car dependency because it's far more difficult to service people with public transport when you've created a city of sprawl. So it's how we build and it's what we build as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I won't disagree with anything what you say there. And I actually do think what we've touched on and, and I've done a lot of research, I actually believe because the amount of the, the the ratio per population to property hasn't changed in about 30 years since I've look. you go back and look at the stats website. Where I think we've gone wrong though. We've built the wrong type of properties. We've either built these four or five bedroom McMansions or tiny yeah. apartments where what I see statistics from Bond Centre and whatever, what we need, are three bedroom housing. And probably now yeah. we have to look at intensification because yeah. of things such as infrastructure environment we can't keep spreading out but Christ oh, totally. yeah but yeah, yeah. yeah look at we uh, one of the things I want to touch on is Christchurch because mm-hmm. I, I've argued that if every city is like Christchurch we actually wouldn't have a housing mm-hmm. crisis the rent compared to Wellington where I am in Christchurch for a three bedroom it's about a difference of 185 dollars a week because they built enough post-earthquake what can be done to to make it easier for people to build so we can We can have enough stock
1: Yeah, so there's been, again, to take you to the rhetoric that everybody hears time and again, um, we've got to repeal and replace the RMA that was bandied about through parliamentary debates and electoral promises for a good decade and it's finally happening. There's going to be three pieces of uh, legislation, three acts of Parliament that will replace the RMA. Hopefully it will become less unwieldy, Uh, but then you've also got the problems around resource consenting and we know, as anybody who's trying to build or develop, uh, that right now that process is just not for purpose so there's a number of different ways that that could be uh, made far more efficient I think uh, but you know ultimately sorry I've forgotten the, the original line of questioning
0: yeah I mean what can we do to just speed up the process to get, more, to properties, process. To get more properties built because I mean yeah. what, what happened in Christchurch they basically just said to the council right you're releasing 30 years of land right now so people can get on and we had we, we actually met the demand and prices mm-hmm. came down
1: yeah, so a, a few things to unpack in that in, in terms of building more. In a place like Auckland, for example, um, you may or may not be familiar with in 2016, we had a big debate around something known as the Unitary Plan. Yes. Um, that's now going to be superseded by what's known as the NPSUD or the National Policy Statement on Urban Design. Right. Um, that's going to be rolled out across the country and it's every single council is going to have to think about density effectively and how they are planning their city so that it's most efficient for transport for people to get around and for us to build more dwellings in order to tackle this housing catastrophe. So, you know, in terms of that uh, kind of greater density, One of the biggest challenges that I've constantly come up against is everybody wants more houses built, but they don't necessarily want them in their own backyard. Mm. So that's one of the big challenges, is how do we get around that really challenging political phenomenon? Because it is often the case, particularly if you're talking about uh, local governments making these decisions, that the loudest voices in the room are typically those who own land. And this is reflected in uh, voter statistics. (laughs) Uh, You know, a, a third of the population typically tends to vote in but local it, body elections and it, we don't have ballot voting so no. it's you know all the easier for people who
0: have a secured uh tenancy I, I mean i actually you know what you're touching on here with local councils i think there's there's a big problem there and what you've touched on there i'd actually like to see a, a more of a nationwide which is in controls the release of land can i just touch on now about you know security tenant with tenants and and mm. and, and you know, you talk about making more rights for tenants tenants i get the impression now they've got a lot of rights you know they they've got name suppression in the tenancy tribunal completely agree with it i do agree that the you know you you should have to give the tenant a valid reason as to end a tenancy so they've got plenty of rights and we are seeing tenants become a little bit more empowered in in, in pushing those rights going to tenancy tribunal what more can be done uh, from your perspective for tenants
1: I guess, again, the question becomes, do we want uh, renters renting to be a long-term, sustainable, viable thing in this country? And if that's the case, then we need to think about how we create a system that enables and encourages that. Mm -hmm. Because right now, the way that renters' rights operate, I absolutely hear you in terms of the legislation outlining what these rights theoretically are. But again, the burden of proof, the onus to walk through those processes to attempt to enforce those rights falls on the renter. And in a market where renters are price takers, Uh, We don't have all too much of an ability, renters don't have all too much of an ability to uh, potentially get into a position where they sully their name. And I hear you on the point around anonymity as well. Mm. Uh, But once again, that anonymity is only as far as the court papers go. It's not something that is necessarily uh, kept anonymous as far as conversations between certain property managers or landlords or otherwise.
0: I wanna just the, the interest deductibility in is was, was a controversial from a landlord point of view. I, I I'll be honest, I, I don't agree with what has been put forward. I have actually made a submission though, because we have to got the chance to make submissions, and I've suggested that landlords who guarantee that they're gonna be landlords for 10 years or more, they are exempt so basically one of the ideas that they've come up with is like a long-term fixed-term tenancy for say 10 years. And then it gives the tenant that guarantee that this can be their home where they can establish roots. But they have the flexibility of giving notice and and without paying any break fees or anything like that. And if a landlord did that, I've argued that they should be exempt from this interest deductibility. Because I've worked out what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be an extra $50 a week it's going to cost me as a landlord. Now, the natural thing I'm going to try and do is, A, either control the costs, which means less repairs and maintenance. B, increase the rents. What do you, you know, is that feasible in your eyes as an idea? What would you recommend?
1: I think uh, we have to go back to the reason that we ended up with this interest deductibility uh, proposal on the table in the first place. And to be honest with you, the main reason that we have this happening is because the government cut itself off at the knees with all other options in in terms of trying to disincentivise people from investing in property sold. Mm. Uh, And that's where things like conversations around capital gains tax or wealth tax or otherwise, um, you know, it's really unfortunate that we just shelved them and we said we're not going to about them so in terms of the way that interest deductibility works and again the theoretical values underpinning of it is once again to say well the reason that this is occurring and the reason that we are treating property as, as a different form of asset or a different form of investment or a different form of business as all of the others is because we recognise it as something quite different. It shouldn't be commodified. It is again a human right. However, these are obviously not the rationale that the government necessarily put forward. Mm. Uh, they are things that, for me, are important. But I do think that there are other levers which could have done a better job potentially. And yeah. um, to the point around costs and where those costs should go. And um, this is obviously a debate that I've had many times before, particularly in the public arena. Yeah. And to this point, um, you know, we have seen rents continue. increase, despite uh, property qualities not increasing markedly in the past 20, 25 years. And there's some really great data analysis of this by, I believe it was Emma Witts in the spin-off. And on top of that, we have seen rents continue to increase despite costs not increasing. So it seems as though, you know, regardless of whatever the situation is, the costs are going to continue to increase. It's a matter of what we're willing to accept when it comes to whether we treat housing as a commodity in this country or not. But again, I'll say that there are other levers which could have been pulled, um, which definitely would have had other forms of downstream effects. Yeah. And that's where it comes into uh, the the question becomes: What kind of economy do we want to run? And we're in far bigger theoretical territory.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, a landlord's I mean, do you see it as a as a is it a ethical form of investment? I mean, you touch on it being a commodity. I mean, I'm a landlord. I kind of became <laughs> a landlord by accident, and it's you know, but i wouldn't see myself as being like you know, a nasty human being i would provide a warm dry home for me for my tenants
1: yeah i think one of the funniest things about um occupying this space quite publicly as somebody who advocates for renters rights is first and foremost that's quite a lonely area quite yeah. a lonely space to be in and um, because you think about our commentary, you think about, you know, the way that the majority of our political parties talk about property. And next to none of them want to say that house prices should come down. And that's the funniest thing actually, pertaining back to your question around Christchurch and how all the more building, all the more supply meant that prices did come down. Yeah. And we simultaneously have political parties going out there and saying we want more supply on stream, we want more affordable housing, but not saying that housing and house prices should come down. But if we continue down this route of what the Prime Minister has called sustained moderation of around 4% increase in price every year, and you kind of map that to what we've seen in wage increases, we're waiting 50 years to get to the point of house price affordability that we had in the early 2000s, which at that point in time was still a ratio of about one to seven. Mm. And if you look internationally, the standards that we should be accepting for affordability are around one to three to one to five. So yeah, these are some of the many problems that we're unpacking. Yeah. But to your point around um, you know the, the underlying question, do I think landlords are evil? Uh, no <laughs> there are definitely of course good landlords but i i don't think on the whole that the landlord lobby that is those who present themselves in the media as crying bloody murder whenever any form of change occurs are doing the sector a particularly a, a favour really
0: yeah 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 you get on well with mark richardson after that little uh... <laughs>
1: I tried to give him a handshake. He wasn't particularly keen, but you know, look. As far as I'm concerned, like this is the whole thing of this, I guess, about um, kind of discussing ideas that are. That that are that are going to drive change. Yeah. So many people agree that so many things are broken. We're talking about the housing market as though it's no longer just a crisis, but it's a catastrophe. Mm. In order to address that, things do have to change, and they might have to change quite radically. But nobody wants to pay the price for that. No. But no. right now, those who are paying the price are almost honourable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm of the view that renting is now going to be a long term, and and I'm and, and I'm all for protecting rights for tenants you know, who are gonna be in a house long term and they're gonna establish those roots. And we've got to get away from the you'd have to own your own house. I I, I think that there will be a generation now, professional people, not just the the most vulnerable, professional Mm. people who will be lifetime renters. All right, so Oh
1: many of my friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and also, actually, I might add, because everybody is constantly, and this is, uh, again, one of those cultural norms that we buy into, which helps to justify political inaction on these issues, but we have a cultural norm of referring to mum and dad renters, and I made the point uh, in uh, an interview not too long ago, I was like, well, actually, my parents have rented their entire lives with Mm. me as a kid growing up now, and they're still renters, and I, in the privilege of my position with the security of my relationship, have been able to get into a mortgage situation for an apartment in the city center. But, you know, when you, again, look at the data, around 30% of those over the age of 65 now are in positions where they don't own a property. Yeah. And what does that say for security?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, hear you. I do hear you. I do hear you. Just to finish up with now, Chloe, and I really appreciate mm. you giving up your time. I know you would be busy with your constituents in the lockdown, but you've touched on property, and, and this is one thing that we're 100% behind you on, the regulation of the property management industry. Mm. Um, What are you doing in terms of lobbying to get that pushed forward? Because... Because Labour, they promised in an election that they were going to regulate the property management industry. And would you also include private landlords should there be some um, regulation requirements to be a landlord in New Zealand?
1: Yeah, absolutely. A register would be a really straightforward and obvious thing to say that we need. Uh, I think that... You know, to your point around all of these different moving parts and particularly uh, the, I think, unfortunate polarity with which the discussion plays out. You know, if you are advocating for renters' rights, somehow you're vehemently against or you paint all landlords as evil. And, of course, that's not the case. You know, my most recent landlord that I had before moving into this place was a wonderful couple who were really caring about the circumstances that we were living in and would check in on us and all of those other bits. And pieces. So if you have this uh, register, then you actually do have an opportunity to make sure that, of course, there is education and training provided for all, uh, that there is some form of kind of licensing for lack of a better term. Uh, and also that for those landlords who don't want to go through that process or procedure, that they'd be able to get a property manager who had, which again, protects renters, but yeah. it also means that as far as landlords who are concerned about their reputation goes, you'd be able to weed out the cowboys with not all too much of a hassle. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. And
1: how long, I mean, have
0: you got any idea of time
1: frame we're looking at for, for this to happen? Because oh. they did process it. <laughs> Daring me. Yeah, look, well, what we've found uh, is that nearly a year and there hasn't been a huge amount of work undertaken by uh, the Associate Minister for Housing and Responsibility for the Residential Tenancies Act, which, uh, yeah, I, I think is hugely disappointing. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the often, uh, the way that, you know, the adage around parliamentary process of the three years that we have the term in Parliament between elections is that the first year is really kind of firing up the engines the second year is getting stuff done and the third year everybody's back in election uh, kind of mode so it's really this window where a third of it so far appears to have been wasted yeah. and we've got one year to really get the rubber to hit the road and to legislate noting that it takes months for legislation to go through parliament we're going to have to have a quite fulsome select committee process to make sure that this is feasible and then there's going to be the rollout of it yeah uh, so yeah i I am disappointed that it's taken this long and in terms of how we get it done well we do what the Greens always do which is that we continue to push for this stuff and a lot of people you know Uh, try and uh, a lot of people seek to blame individual politicians for things not happening fast or quick enough and inside of our parliament it's important to realise that there's 120 politicians in order to pass any piece of law you need a simple majority of 61 61. In our current parliament Labour holds 65 so Mm. if they wanted to do it they could do it overnight Uh, but in the absence of that the 10 (laughs) Greens will continue to put a a, kind of microscope on this issue and continue to push it forward because the more that we light the proverbial fire under those politicians bums uh the more likely that they are to act
0: yeah do you get frustrated chloe seems to you get a little bit frustrated with the whole process of parliaments and, and how the wheels work of democracy
1: absolutely yeah <laughs> absolutely but look i i say to um people ask me that that I think that I was far more cynical coming in four years ago than I am now. Having seen, I guess, how the sausage is made, <laughs> you come to realise that you know everybody, regardless of whatever job they're doing, is just doing the best that they can with the resources afforded to them. And I think that inside of our Parliament, what you have is a number of different people from a number of different backgrounds, some of whom have certain skills, which are definitely well suited to doing that process of uh, making policy, others are more suited to speaking publicly uh, and all of the other kind of bells and whistles i think that um in terms of the potential for change the thing that has made me the most excited is seeing what can change when the public demands that it does and uh how you know actually under covid-19 all of these things that we were told for so long were politically or economically impossible, you know, providing emergency housing for those who yeah. are sleeping rough the street, flexible working arrangements for single parents or people with disabilities, increasing benefits, all of those things happen virtually overnight. Mm. So it's been exposed as though all of these things, all these problems, this housing catastrophe that we've got, it's not an inevitability, it's not something that was defined by the gods, it is literally the consequences of the action and inaction of subsequent governments so you know that absolutely can sound a bit dire in terms of we've got to blame all of these people but that also poses an opportunity to take responsibility and try and fix it
0: yeah okay all right well listen chloe we've we've we'll finish there we've had a great chat and really appreciate you coming on uh, I'm sure all the property managers um, listen to this, and they'll be, you know, really appreciative of the work you're doing to push for regulation, because the most of the industry do want our industry mm. to to be regulated. Just to, to finish off, what are the things you get up to in your bubble when you've got some downtime? What 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 do you recommend?
1: <laughs> Look, I have to be completely honest with you here, and I've just walked away from my partner who's watching Love Island, oh. so um, trashy TV is one of those things oh. that fills the gaps. I've also got a cat uh, who's managed to find. Way into many of my live zooms, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's um it's been one of those quite uh, uh, work intensive lockdowns so far. However, with obviously the location that we're in um, and having the responsibility, the privilege of representing Auckland Central there's a little bit of work to do. Um, but we're front loading all of that, and hopefully we'll get some evenings off. All
0: right, well you will be well deserved when you do, Chloe. Okay, thanks a lot, Chloe. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, thank you nice you are goodbye <laughs>